I didn't fix my denim today. Oh damn! So is it just going to be crashing? It's gonna yeah, it's gonna be high high denim high denim recording. The 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 ocean <laughs> of denim crashing. <laughs> the waves. The wind. The wind beneath my denim. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a super polite way to say you farted. <laughs> Sounds like an R. Kelly like side project. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh, fucking R. Kelly. Boy. All right, ready? Yeah. Welcome to the Trash Cats Trash Cast. I'm Richard. I'm Steven. And today we're going to be talking about art forgery and how to rip off your own art. Woo! Rip off some art. Yeah, some art. I, I guess you don't rip off your own art. Try not to. I can know, rip off your art. It happens. Dude, I've been waiting all week to crack open that monster. <laughs> Woo! Oh man, I don't know about you. I got a little nervous energy. I appreciated our uh, our warm up songs today. Yeah, that was important. That was uh, necessary. <laughs> I, I don't I don't want to blame it on time change, but I feel like uh, I feel like shit. Been, yeah, <laughs> yeah, feeling like shit lately. <laughs> so, all right, uh, this episode is gonna be our first two part episode. So, first Whoa. part today, second part next week. Um, and then we'll be picking them back up our cycle. Um, today we're going to get deep into art forgery. And as we were getting into it, the more we found, the more we wanted to share. So we didn't want to cut shit out and we really like this topic. So we thought this would be a fun way to do it. Uh, today we're going to focus on the background info of forging and, uh, a specific documentary about one of the world's most prolific forgers. And part two, we're going to pick up some other really fun examples of famous forgeries and alternative forms of art forgery. Well, but first, Stephen, how was your week? Uh, Man, it's been a real mix. I, I want to say it was really shitty, but uh, it got a lot better and I'm starting to feel better. I'm, my sleep's all out of whack. I'm going to bed at like 7, 8, 9 a.m. And then waking up at two, so I'm all like, I'm all weird right now, man. It's that one hour change, man. That fucked you up. <laughs> one hour threw me off five hours. Yeah, I wish I could blame it on that, but uh, uh, definitely a lot of depression shit going on. But uh, you know, pushing forward. Uh, I've been looking at one of my honorable mentions is this book that's helped me a lot. So I, uh, you know, just pressing forward. Fuck how you feel. Just do good shit. I'm trying to be positive. That's all you can do, ma'am. What about I've you? Been, I've been uh, similar. My, I was going to say my sleep schedule's been also fucked up, but it's not been nearly as fucked up as yours. Um, <laughs> I just you got been, a job. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've been going to sleep around the same time, but I just like, I can't get out of bed. Uh, and it's like, you know, it's that part of, it's like, I think it's partially depressed depression. Um, I was like, I felt sick all like sunday i think it was like allergies and shit like i was outside we had a bonfire at a friend's house and um i feel i feel better now on that front but i still just feel exhausted and, and like physically and mentally so i think it's mostly depression shit yeah what, what was it last night we were gonna link up and i think both of us didn't feel like it at all yeah i was fucking gone there's no way i was in bed no by way. eight yeah 
I don't. I still didn't fall asleep until closer to midnight, but I just was not a functioning person. Right. Yeah. But uh, so. at, the the energy switch, like having something to focus on, I don't know. It helps me a lot. Yeah. The, the pre pre recording music really helped. Yeah. Um, so I, what, what was your really thought? wanted? To, I really wanted to get something in I, that I knew would be you know like really hype and i all i did was go through my um save to like watch later list on youtube and i found a video for um it's by an artist named goes by snapple man like snapple the drink snapple man uh the song's called malicious fingers um he does a bunch of covers of uh, i assume he they they do a bunch of covers of um sonic uh the like, video game music on guitar and like drum and it's like it's it's kind of like a metal version. It kicks ass. Um, it was pretty actually, fucking heavy. Yeah, actually, I found out about them through Run Button. I always talk, yeah. I'm always talking about Run Button. I know, but <laughs> <laughs> dude, I mean, that was a good one. Intense Sonic music is great to begin with, but it had some uh, like power metal vibes that were fun. Do you hear the shit about Michael Jackson had like input on the Sonic Hedgehog level music? No, I think I, I might be. That might have been a rumor that I'm I'm just propagating without, you know, total evidence. But I feel like I looked wow. it up and found it to be true. He was consulted for um, co- some of the composition. Dude, I wouldn't of, be surprised at all. He had influence in so many fucking things. Like, yeah. so many politicians knew what he was doing and let him... It, his story is unfucking believable Yeah. What a piece of shit. Right. <laughs> so, now that we've lost Michael Jackson fans... Uh, <laughs> I think we talked about Michael Jackson in one of the first episodes. <laughs> if we haven't, we're going to more. All right. Um, yeah, I did uh, Twisted Metal by Ramirez. That's been one of my uh, classic hype songs. Good old yeah. Ramirez. Um, do you have any other uh, honorable mentions? You want I do not, but I know you do. I got a couple. So we've talked a little bit about them before. I was going to show you this on screen. <laughs> And then I'll get I'll get pictures later. So Sam's girlfriend is the they're getting married next October. Megan, she owns a company with another Megan, the Megans, who they're the ones that asked about her my beta fish last is week. Is that is that like the Bagginses? The Bagginses. <laughs> <laughs> so they have this company called Signed and Sealed, and they do cards, invitation they do like anything graphic design planning but specifically wedding stuff but they're very talented designers and uh sam and megan have a halloween party every year and they did these handmade cards to everyone and this is by far the coolest fucking card i've ever got so i know you haven't seen the movie it's uh it was themed to uh the us movie by uh, oh yeah peel so it's got the oh wow dude look at this the rabbit the scissors that go in the rabbit pull out the guts in the card that's fucking sick dude so brutal so cool it's like the coolest thing i've ever got like invitation wise you know it's like all custom paper uh embossed shit so pretty Oh yeah! Wow, they do all kinds of cool stuff. 
So yeah, sign and seal. They're they're on. Uh, I have their Instagram link. I'll get good pictures of it to show. Um, but their Instagram is sign s i g n and s e a l yes e a l e d sign and sealed on Instagram. They do some really cool design and wedding stuff. So fuck yeah, check them out. And then uh, our second one, I he's the guy who produced uh, one of our previous honorable mentions, Chaotic Steel. Yeah, he's uh, one of his main producers. And I couldn't remember his name when recording, and I felt bad. This dude's name is Rogue Henson on Instagram. It's at R-O-G-U-E-H-E-N-N-S-S-O-N. And uh, he's got a link tree in his bio that goes to his solo music. Um, He's on SoundCloud. He has this album that I just checked out, Dark Days, Bright Nights. And it's an instrumental beat album. And dude, it was like the perfect, uh, perfect like chill but intense album to listen like while doing school and shit. You Fuck know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. good, good trap electronic vibes. You got this one track called Jackals. That's brutal. You, you we'll listen to it later. It's really I good. Know. And then last one, I swear, uh, this this book um, that has had a big influence on my life it's a it's a classic it's called man's search for meaning which sounds like a cheesy self-help book but it's uh (laughs) much better i promise it's uh excuse me from 1946 by this dude named victor frankel and he's a jewish uh either psychologist or psychiatrist i can't remember which and uh this book chronicles his experience as a prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. And, dude, it's incredible. Like, I've never read, I haven't read many first-person accounts like that. Mm-hmm. But specifically from a person who studies uh, the human psyche and, yeah, like, purpose, the meaning of life. And uh, some of his conclusions are, like, about like the meaning of life is found in every moment that despite despite how you feel you don't have to act that way there's just all kinds of interesting things um that this book had a big effect on me because i read it in rehab and i would like sneak out to like read by the moonlight and it's like i knew if i got caught too many times like i'm going to jail so it was right. like <laughs> it was like a worth it you know what i mean like a very a very powerful book um, and I recently gave my copy to my cousin, and I think I think it'll help him a lot right now. So I think it's just a good good book, definitely worth reading. Man's Search for Meaning. Putting it in my cart on Amazon right now. You'll like it a lot, I promise. Fuck yeah! All right, so <sighs> that do does you it for me. Want to? Oh my! Uh, my entire notes went away. <laughs> you don't need notes. I don't need I don't need any of this shit. Well, I'll start us off while you get set. Cool? Please. Right. So today we're starting off talking about art crime. And so we wanted to, we wanted to look at forgery and as we were getting into it, we started finding more and more about other types of art crime. Mm. Um so this is actually some of this information is from a class uh taught by 
How, how do you say that? Sotheby's? Sotheby's. Sotheby's. There's, no, there's no R. No R. I've always hated that name. It's always confused me. Uh, well, you got the you got it spelled wrong as fuck here. That's <laughs> probably making a difference. <laughs> it doesn't help. I'm not doing myself any favors. So there's three main types of art crimes. Um, and we're going to be focusing on forgery specifically, but there's three main types. Um, theft by deception, which is forgery, fakes, white-collar crimes, such as money laundering, uh, the manipulation ship of ownership histories, and the process, process of illicit trafficking of cultural objects. A mutual art article mentions an often cited statistic is that about 10% of works of arts in museums are fakes. That's pretty buck wild. Buck wild. Like, that's yeah. so fucked up. And we'll that's get so it. many pieces. Dude, like, think about how many times, like, we we unknowingly have gone to an art museum and looked at a fake or forgery of some kind. Like, that's so fucked up. Yeah, and then you didn't know the fucking difference. Yeah, I mean, it's like I wouldn't, cool. I wouldn't know, you wouldn't know. Nobody listening would know. <laughs> it's the perfect crime. I love it. Um, the second type is theft by larceny, which is art theft and illegal acquisitions of an object from museums or public collections. Historical antecedents of theft by larceny include iconic works such as the well-known Mona Lisa or the Scream by Munch. Um, how do you say it? Munch. I just <laughs> think it's a fun word. It's, I had to repeat it because it was fun. Why well, can't I mean I it's a name? Anything? But... <laughs> no, you got it right. I just, <laughs> I just think Munch is funny. Yeah, we're gonna talk later about the Mona Lisa because that is a crazy story about that. Uh, now, speaking of pronouncing things, you're the only person I've ever heard in my entire life call it the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa. <laughs> Instead of the Mona Lisa. I mean, Mona. Mona Lisa looks right because it's not M-O-A-N-A. I've just always heard Mona Lisa. What is it actually? I don't know. I've always heard Mona Lisa. I, I feel like Mona, Mona Lisa is right because that's what everybody <laughs> says except for you. <laughs> I've been told I say the word sandwich. Weird. <laughs> well, right then? Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you just made it weird, though. Uh, fuck. <laughs> like, singling it out. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> the Sandwich by Munch. Oh, shit. Yeah, so... <laughs> uh, Sorry, I fucked up your train there. Oh, that was going. really good. Um, so what was it? Van Gogh had a bunch of his stuff stern- stolen during a heist? Is that... Um. It, yeah, I think I, I do remember hearing that. So it's like forgeries, uh, like physically stealing shit and theft by destruction which as soon as i read this i got really excited about (laughs) of course you did (laughs) dude like oh man so it's the socio-economic and political forces that have had an impact upon material culture cultural restitution and spoilization spoilation is not a mere is not merely a past issue but lives today on ongoing court cases and the ravages of war-torn countries. Um, Examples of this include um, two incidents where ISIS returned to Syria where they destroyed a bunch of shit. They, so two, they had, there's two busts that were destroyed by ISIS. Um, They were uh, restored in Italy by, um, 
like 3D, 3D printing and powerful um, magnets. Yeah, ma'am. I guess. What? what? That sounds really cool, though. Yeah the the idea of I mean I we're not we're not getting into this one as much today, and this this could be a whole nother topic of like I mean this is like you know library of Alexander shit, but so we'll 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 get more into that. Dude, and, and probably another one. There's so much shit we can talk about with that. Yeah, but these three things kind of are like uh, like Nietzsche's big points: create, destroy, overcome. You have the creating of of I was gonna try to make it work. It doesn't work. I was gonna you know, you're creating shit, you're overcoming and fooling them, and you're destroying shit. Kinda works. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll accept it. <laughs> <laughs> I can see where you're going. <laughs> uh so art crime, uh <laughs> uh shit man we really need to t- dig deep and look at otherwise minor details to identify the consequences and challenges it actually presents to our society it is important to identify the scope of illegal activities that occur within the international art world from legal and ethical challenge to supposed economic threats art crimes exist in a variety of forms uh this makes it an exciting mysterious and challenging topic that demands some trash Agreed. There's, dude, this whole, like, every, everything we looked at, there was so much bullshit. Yeah. Like, I fucking hate the art world. And, and I mean, there's a lot of it, it's like, the, I, you know, he said supposed, um, you know, detriment to, you know, society. It's not, it's only, it's like when people talk about, like, oh, the value of a dollar, and it's like, well, it's based on gold and this and that. It's like, but what is gold? Like, it's all fake. It's all fake bullshit. Like, yeah. the value of something is only based on what some asshole is willing to pay for it. It's and per- if we want their money, then they have the power over It's per- over perceived value. And yeah. it's, it's, like, we'll talk about it with the Rothko stuff more, but it's just like rich people tricking each other. Yeah. And it, it's just so fucking phony. Oh, man. So, so the bees <laughs> would want you to consider the cultural and economic impact of thefts from museums and galleries. While I feel for some of the employees at these establishments, fuck these people spending the crazy money on the, this bullshit art, man. Like, yeah, shit selling for so much more than it's worth, and it, it's terrible. You want to pick? Pick me yeah, up there. I, I, I do think it's interesting the study of how to identify the fakes because yeah. that's um, I as you, usually the the more that's learned on how to detect you know fraud the better people get at trying to like you know commit it it, it you know the better they get at detecting counterfeit bills the easier you know it is not the easier but the the better the counterfeits get. It's also worth noting that both Sotheby's and Christie's uh, and many art houses and auctions like them, um, they also are the main some of the main culprits in selling forged art into the market, um, whether it's by honest mistake or it's a choice to not ask too many questions. Uh, this is how they make money as a business. Dude, so, yes, that's what's so like hypocritical about it all. It's like they're always the ones that are like policing the art world like oh these forgeries got out and it's like you're the fucking ones who sold them 
Right. So it's a lack of due diligence or complicity. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It just makes it seem so phony. Like they they spend so much like time trying to catch people. Dude, later I pulled up all this stuff from the feds on the FBI's websites, and it's hilarious, man. You're it's so funny. We're uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So. Art forgery specifically is the creating and selling of works of art which are falsely credited to others, usually from famous artists. Art forgery can be extremely lucrative, but modern dating and analysis techniques have made the identification of forged artwork much simpler. It gets pretty fucking hard to beat these lab analysis. Yeah, I can see where, you know, even 20 20 some odd years ago, it wouldn't have been as difficult, but... Much easier. And it, it just will continue to get harder, but part of it is it's so expensive to run, you know? Yeah. So in the professional world of artists, the distinction of a legal forgery is often differentiated by the falsifying of an artist's signature. So they can they can re they can copy the painting as long as they don't try to forge the signature. Right. Or like And it's, you know, it's imitation, quote unquote. Yeah. Quotes. You, you can sell it as your version of that artist. Right. But if you put that signature on, it's typically it typically legally makes the distinction that you are trying to con. So right. that they kind of draw the line there a lot of times. Um basically forgery is a way to rob a museum without ever stepping foot in the building. We need to get that tactic together for the next time we play payday. Dude. It would make it so much easier. (laughs) So much easier. That museum map is hard, too. Right? (laughs) All the cameras. Just got to draw them into the bathroom and knock them out. (laughs) (laughs) That's the trick. You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) Um, So some of the most famous uh, forgers of at least um, the last hundred years or so. I mean, there have been many through history, but they've been easier to, to detect lately and it's become more of a um a, a solid business lately that's been easier to pick up on mm. um so first we have han van Meegeren, um probably butchering that but he's from the early early 20th century uh he's a dutch artist who typically did more naturalistic and realistic style while avant-garde movement was like more common right then um yeah. So art critics were not crazy about his work. He had a lot of technical talent, but his work didn't really stand out to people with deep pockets. Um, he was driven by the desire to humiliate them, um, <laughs> and he began to dupe them by forging the work of Vermeer. Um, he picked them because he just knew that he was a master, and there was a lot of um, gaps in his work. Um, right. So he spent years developing the ultimate process to create the perfect fake. He got the right paint, canvases, wood panels. He even uh, recreated a homemade brush similar to the one Vermeer used. Uh, Homeboy even managed to accelerate the aging process of his work. Above all, his talent was to understand exactly what the, the, you know, the qualities of a Vermeer are that art critics and experts were looking for. Uh, and provided them with the kind of paintings that they were both hoping and expecting to find. Uh, in 1937, Van Meegeren's forgery depicting the Last Supper fell into the hands of Vermeer Expert, who not only declared it as authentic, but as the artist's seminal masterpiece. Oh, shit. 
Dude, that's what's so cool is like these really good forgers often to be authenticated, they have to trick the world's best best experts. Yeah. That, that's incredible. This and- dude, like just hearing you read that, I'm just like, this dude's my hero. Like these dudes are so fucking rad, man. Dupe the guy into believing not only was it really this, you know, this artist painting, but it's like, this is the best thing he's ever made. Right. And imagine the whole art world accepting that. That just yeah. like shows the, the hypocrisy. It's just so goofy. Yeah. Um, revenge is also what urged uh, Robert Dryson to create an insane amount of forgeries. Uh, confronted by the thought that no one was interested in his paintings, he began to manufacture variations on the works of expressionists and or mirrored obscure versions of the originals, mm-hmm. eventually evolving his practice to create totally new paintings imitating the style of noted artists. Eventually, he switched to sculpture, and he found his penchant for Giacometti, I believe is how that's pronounced, Giacometti. Yeah. Uh, long, and this is a quote from um, Dryston, long thin finger, fingers, oh, damn it, <laughs> long thin figures and an amorphous crumbly surface. It isn't difficult to make Giacometti's. Giacometti's. I literally had Giacometti's in my fingers. That's why I fucked up the fingers and figures thing. That's funny, dude. I love how a lot of these forgers are like, yeah, this shit was easy. Yeah. And it's like, you're doing such, you have to be able to recreate what this world famous artist is doing. And then you have to have the skill and the craft to pull it off without anybody like detecting your, your materials and shit. Like, right. It's outstanding. So police estimate that he forged at least a thousand sculptures but Dryson himself claims it was probably way more. Damn. He fled to Thailand uh, to get away from the police. And this is, he, he lives there now. He produces and sells uh, original reproductions. Gotcha. Um, and they're all signed by him, you know, as his own work, but it's just reproductions of other people's work. Good for him. I love when they get away with it. And it's all, it's funny. Like every art forger who gets busted, they, as soon as they're about to get caught, or they are caught and they, they get bail or whatever, they always have to leave the country. And then yeah. they become famous. It's yeah. awesome. Um, so selling copies as imitations after being caught is not uncommon for art forgers. Right. Uh, John Myatt, a uh, forger behind what Scotland Yard referred uh, referred to as the biggest art fraud of the 20th century. Uh, between 1986 and 1994, he faked around 200 works and fooled collectors and experts enough that the works were auctioned for hundreds of thousands of pounds by Christie's and Sotheby's. In 1999, Myatt was sentenced to 12 months in prison, but served only four for good behavior. He is now op- oh, excuse me, operating openly and entirely legally, selling what he calls genuine fakes. Good for him. Now, his John's run of fraud... That was before, that would be both during, but he got busted before Wolfgang. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because every time there's a, one of these big art fraud cases, they always say it's the biggest too. Which yeah. Is, and it's like, whatever. It's like drug busts. But. Uh, I think I think they were more upset about, like, not even just the number of works, but the amount of money that was. Right. Because that's so fucking many. And they're all in circulation. But here's the crazy thing. They give these people like 12 months in prison. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, it's a nonviolent crime. Like, that, 
that honestly is like a, a reasonable sentence, but like all kinds of other sentences are that, like so yeah. like they come down on so heavy. Like possession of a small amount of marijuana. Right. Like jeez, it's just it's crazy. Mandatory, like take your license away for a year and shit like that. It's fucked up. Yeah, and then like <laughs> Like I, if I get busted with a dime bag of heroin, I'm going away three times longer than a dude who ripped off millions of dollars. Yeah, like what the fuck? It doesn't even make sense. And and that's why these guys often come out looking pretty good on the other end. Yeah, because they, they're, they, they're now they're famous. Yeah, that's so cool. So it's, it's all an artist ever wanted, right? So what's up with like we were saying? They often think ten percent of museums. 10% of work in museums are fake. What about this museum in, where is it? Elney? Elney. I think it's Elney. So, in uh, France. The Musée Terrace in France saw its collection cut by more than half. And it was revealed that 82 of the museum's 142 works were forgeries. Like that's 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 absolutely bonkers, dude. Who's buying that shit? Like, <laughs> Whoever was in charge was is immediately fired. <laughs> oh my god, dude! They bought so much bunk shit. Like, what is it? Like, oh my cousin's got a new painting. Like, I think eighty two pieces of like supposed masterworks. Like how how much money? Millions. Oh my god, Millions. that's probably like hundred million. It's fucking ridiculous. I mean, I guess it depends, but... <sighs> so, some of the history of it. The, now, this was really interesting to me. I thought this was really um, cool the way... So, this is all... I We plucked this from Wikipedia. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the way that it became... I guess it really describes why the art market is the way it is. Right. Uh, so, art forgery dates back more than 2,000 years. Uh, Roman sculptors produce copies of greek sculptures uh <laughs> buyers likely knew that they weren't genuine um because during the classical period art was generally created for historical reference or religious inspiration or just the aesthetic enjoyment um so the identity of the artist was usually unimportant to the buyer right it was more about like a a way to show people who the fuck the emperor was and you know yeah like look at this cool pretty thing i have yeah preserving um, history yeah. Um, during the Renaissance, many painters took on apprentices who studied painting techniques by copying the works in the style of the master. Um, as a payment for the training, the master would then sell the works, his, you know, the paintings mm. that the apprentices were making. This was generally considered a tribute, not forgery, although some of these copies have later uh, erroneously been attributed to the master. That's interesting. I kind of yeah. like that. Yeah, I think way. that's cool. It's, I, it's like, you know, it's how people say, like, Edison invented the light bulb, but it wasn't really him. It was just right. inside of his laboratory. Yeah. It, did you, uh, like, copy comics and stuff for, like, Sunday oh, morning? Oh, 100%, per- yes. Yeah, dude, that shit's so important to learning. You have I just to- did a Burt Kreischer 100%. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to that call really myself was. out on that real quick. That's funny. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's critical. I... I first started drawing from like Dragon Ball Z characters. Right. Like that was my, you know, it was just copying pictures off the internet, you know, that, that, um, 62 by 80, uh, pixel JPEG that took three hours to download. Right. 
I, I, I started with a lot of Stickman shit, like the Stickman Flash videos of like oh, yeah, yeah, drawing right. like little wars, you know what I yeah. mean? And then it's like, oh, I'm drawing these, all right, now I want it to be like a, a cartoon fight, you know? They're drawing the same things that my cousin drew. Yeah, 100%. Because I was jealous. Oh, yeah. Um, so after the Renaissance, the increasing uh, excuse me the increasing prosperity of the bourgeoisie created a fierce demand for art. Uh, near the end of the 14th century, Roman statues were unearthed in Italy, creating a strong interest in antiquities, and a, and led to a sharp increase in the value of these objects. The upsurge uh, soon extended to contemporary and recently deceased artists. Art had now become a commercial commodity, and the monetary value of the artwork came to depend on the identity of the artwork. Uh, sorry, the identity of the artist. Right. So this is where it, this is where it really takes a turn in like unless you're famous, you know, or like, you know, artists are famous after they're dead. And unless you're famous, no one wants to buy your work. It starts to become because, about reputation. Yeah, they're all just buying, you know, dead people shit. Right. Uh, so to identify their works, painters began to mark them. Uh, these marks later evolved into signatures. As demand for certain artwork began to exceed the supply, fraudulent marks and signatures began to appear on the open market. Hmm. Even famous artists got in on the biz. In 1496, Michelangelo created a sleeping Cupid fig figure and treated it with acidic earth to cause it <laughs> to appear ancient. He then sold it to a dealer, and when it was later found to be a fraud and the the you know owner demanded his money back... Um, Michelangelo was permitted to keep his share of the money. What a piece of shit. Right? Fuck Michelangelo. <laughs> uh, I really liked saying that. Man, fuck I mean... Fuck Michelangelo for other reasons, too, but I just, you know... Yeah, but he wasn't smart enough to even get away with it. Right? Like, what an asshole. Earth. And Come he was supposed on. to be a master. <laughs> so the 20th century art market uh, favorite artists like Dolly, Picasso, Klee, and Matisse... Uh, all of whom have been a huge target of forgery. Um, these works are typically sold to art galleries and auction ho uh, houses who cater to the taste of the collectors, uh, like Sotheby's and Christie's and whatnot. Uh, during the occupation of France by German forces during World War II, the painting, which fetch fetched the highest price at a main French auction house, was a fake Cezanne. Wow. Dude, there's a reason Dolly Picasso... Matisse, there's a reason their shit got forged so much, because it was not difficult to do. I mean, I would argue that 100% for Picasso. Yeah. But I, Mat I, I Matisse think... and Dolly, I don't really know enough of Klee work. Yeah, you're right. As soon as I saw Picasso, I just got angry. I'm like, fuck yeah, Picasso. I, I fucking hate Picasso. Yeah, I'm not, like, a, I'm not like a fan Dolly. at all of Picasso. Yeah. I mean, Dolly does some stupid shit, but I like Dolly. Um, God, dude, there's so many fucking Picasso forgeries. It's the biggest to forge because he's a piece of shit. Yeah, it's easy to forge. I don't let's get it. Let's get it clear right now. <laughs> Fuck Andy Warhol. Fuck, Fuck Picasso. Picasso. Dude, man, the, the Nazis did some crazy fucking shit during the war with art. Oh, I, I, I thought you were going to end that with it during <laughs> in the war. You, well, you, you, you specified with art. And I was going to say, oh, did they? Did the Nazis do some crazy shit? There's some real knuckleheads. God damn. Dude, they stole so much fucking art. And oh, yeah. 
they lost so much of it too. Like what assholes? Like they round up all this fucking art and then fucking lose it. It's interesting how how things have resurfaced. Like they found that one cave that had hundreds and hundreds of pieces. Like they they fucked up the whole like art world of Europe for 50 years. And there there's still all these pieces in Swiss banks and shit now. Fucking you know. Nazis. They're either in Swiss banks or the people think they have them. Right. You know, because someone created a forgery of it. For real. There's so fucking many of them. <laughs> so this is so how they how do they get to the market? Like you yeah, said, that, they um, they often go through galleries and art houses, auctions, de- different dealers. Forgers typically sell the painting through an often knowing third party dealer who right. then dupes the bigger seller. Uh, eager art historians and researchers are more likely to authenticate authentic my s's are killing me today uh, a masterpiece because it means their commission will be high and it's exciting right. to find these valuable pieces so pieces that wouldn't typically meet the authentication i fucking butchered it again i think standards often do so uh much all, of the it's all hype game yeah that's yeah. all it is it's, you know, oh, man, check this shit out. Like, what if it is? Like, what if it's, you know, and like you, like we said, like, they're not, oftentimes these people, it's it's less about them, you know, oh, they didn't take the time to, you know, figure it out, more that they didn't want to take the time to figure it out because if they found that it was wrong, that they'd lose money or they wouldn't be able to make money on it. Right. Dude, I got a real question. Yeah. All right. Think about the people in the art world, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I can kind of understand museum collectors, like somebody in charge of museum or finding shit. But, like, the art house owners or people that buy, sell, trade artwork all day as a professional. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think they give a fuck about art at all? Like, for real? No. I, I really don't think so. Like, it's just no. a money game. Yeah. Like, I, it I might as well be stocks. For real, I just don't get it, man. Like, like, there's no like. I can't imagine any of those people really being art lovers, or maybe they start as like idealistic that way. But I can't imagine being involved with the money of major art for that like over years that you still could be passionate about the art. Yeah. Right? I- I, I believe I'm I'm sure that like most of the people that work for them, you know, they do care. Right. Like, like definitely the, the people that are, you know, profiting the most off of it, absolutely not. Yeah, and we'll talk about it on our part two, but the, the art houses that sold the Rothkos, even the top owners were they knew that they were fakes. Yeah. Like there there's a lot of like actual malicious intent involved high up as well that's fucked yeah so so much of the process revolves around greed uh creative storytelling and and everyone's happy yeah. and then the art is sold at auction you know by an art house that didn't want to ask too many questions or was completely deceived and it's at this stage that many forgeries are found out so if the seller requires a vigorous historical or scientific analysis um, but that doesn't happen all the time which it should, you know, if you're spending the kind of money that people do on artwork, it absolutely should. You know, you should 
want to know that it's completely, you know, the the real deal. Dude, like, um, how is not everything over, like, 10,000, 50,000, whatever the limit is, tested all the time? Yeah, it's it's like yeah, it's like a warranty at that point. It's like when you're when you're you know or insurance, I guess. When you're spending that much money on on a, a fucking picture, yeah, you know, then you shouldn't. Th- technically, you could print if you, it was just because you wanted the pretty picture. You could print that shit, you know. Uh, if, I do. Sorry. If you ahead. want the you know you want the original, you know, high quality thing. That's then you need to get it tested. You have to. Uh, I'll I'll talk about it a little bit more later. But I have some secondhand experience with like art insurance or like art collecting shit, and it is a wild fucking world. It's just all about fucking cash, like hands down. And it as goofy as it sounds, one of the biggest sellers of forged art is eBay. Oh, I can see that. Dude, it is huge because what people do is they say, like they, you know, pretend it's not malicious and it's like, oh, I found this painting. It might be real. Like you don't have to say it for Uh, sure. Yeah. So it's like somebody goes and makes a hundred copies of something that looks authentic and would be worth a lot. And instead of selling it for the full price, you say, oh, I think this could be real. I'm going to sell it for a couple grand, look at the signature, and you sell a shit ton of them. And it is a major problem. Like, if you're selling, I mean, if you're selling art on eBay, there's definitely feds watching because it's a, it's a fucking problem. That and the Chinese and other countries, but big in China, the art factories. Now, tell me more about the art factories. Have you seen videos of, of them by any chance? I have not. Dude, it's like a sweatshop of artists. You might have a hundred artists painting multiple copies of a painting. Or, That's fucking nuts. Yeah, where it's just they're finding things that they can reproduce for a lot of money, and they'll have a shit ton of artists just banging them out. I mean, it's not always like factory style like that, but it's it's a great way to fucking make money. Or or even if they're sold as original reproductions. That that's It's not always like pure forgery, but there is a major market for it. You know, you know what's fucked up is I I feel like all of this like high art forgery shit doesn't it doesn't bother me at all. Like, no. but but what does bother me is like, you know, um, it's a big thing on like Instagram and like Facebook where like non crediting, non crediting shit, and then like you'll see like t shirt company or you know bought t shirt companies that like see a picture that gets you know liked a bunch. And then, you know, if someone types in the comments, like, oh, I want this on a shirt or something like that, they'll automatically pick it up and they'll, you know, they'll make an image out of it that looks like a t-shirt that people can buy. Um, And there was a thing going around for a while and it said something that had like uh, Mickey Mouse on it and said like something about this is a, this is copyright or this is unlawful copyright infringement of, you know, Disney shit. And it was like, just reshare this image and, you know, type a comment about how you want a t-shirt made of it. And then these bots will pick it up and then Disney will sue those companies mm. for doing it. And that's, that's a good way to trick that out. Dude. The one of the artists we featured last episode, um, meta melancholia from yeah. semi. And I, I was just talking to him this week. His shit got stolen like three different times by that's different. Up. I've had my shit stolen a bunch, but like, 
There's a difference between people stealing and non-crediting, and I really don't care that much if it's non-crediting. I just normally I'm like, it'd be nice if you did. Yeah. But but if somebody steals it and sells your shit on something, that's fucked up, and it happens like a lot. Yeah. And a lot of artists don't know how to protect their shit either. Like, I refuse to watermark my own work, but there are other ways and a lot of people do not know how to do that. And these people that are ripping shit off, it's most of the time it's the worst fucking quality ripoff, too. Of course. Because they don't know how to fucking steal shit. Yeah, like, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. God, it's so it's a bunch of idiots. Terrible. Get that get that eight hundred pixel glossy boy. Whew. Need more than that. Get that get that uh uh fifty DPI going on. Get that yeah. low res. Right. You got that low-res version? You got that low-res. So, <laughs> this is kind of the fun part for me. We want to talk about the actual forgery process. So, most of this we compiled from uh, various sources and the documentary we're going to d- discuss next mm-hmm. from the forger Wolfgang himself, and we're going to talk about him after this. So, when attempting a forgery... One of the, like the first big step is research, right? You have to get inside the artist's head and put yourself in their shoes. And it, it sounds so fucking cheesy. Like you can do it without like becoming the person and method acting, but you have to do your fucking research. Right. You, you have to find out everything you can about the artist and their life by going through their art catalogs whatever writing and literature you can find out about them. And you have to craft a timeline of their work because you need to find the gap in their catalog. It's all about the fucking gaps. Yeah. So that's like, you can't start forging something till you have, till you found the gap so you can start crafting your story. And the whole con relies on the story. Yeah, I think think a a lot of people... When they think of art forgery, they're like, oh, like they painted a copy of the Mona Lisa and sold it. Or they painted a copy of, you know, um, the Starry Night or whatever, and they sold it. It's like, that's not what's going on here. It's like, in some cases, you know, you might see something like that. But most of the time, they're just, they're making a new image entirely. Right. Where they find this this artist has a gap of his work for X amount of years where... We don't know exactly what we he's made or like we know literature about the artist said he made these pieces, but we don't know what they look like. And you got to like be able to fill that in, you know? Yeah. And that's your con. You find the gap in the catalog and you craft a story. So once you've got your, your, your target and your story, you have to practice. And that's what the, the artists that are very good at forging – they spend a ton of time practicing their style, uh, the artist's other work, and the the piece they're going to forge specifically. You said you're not just, you know, copying their the you know uh, their painting. They're, you're copying, you know, their personality, the way that they see a canvas, and the way their technique that they go to, you know, putting the brush to the canvas is a. Uh, you have to. Like you, you say, like get in the get into their head. Like it, it does sound cheesy, but it if you're not committed that hard, then you're not gonna 
fool anybody. Yeah, and if you look at a brushstroke by a different artist or even at different, like you can see the emotion in a brushstroke. Yeah, you can, pressure you can, and yeah, it's all the there. amount of paint there. It's right. So after practicing a lot, you have to start creating what people want to sell. So sometimes you don't want to go too high. Like you can't do the Mona Lisa, but right right off the bat, just fucking one and done. (laughs) Right. Because people know where that's at. You got to, but you you don't want to do something that's worth nothing either. So you got to find out what these collectors or galleries or whatever, what they would want to sell. Something that you could get away with doing, but that could still be sold ideally for a lot of money. So, this typically begins with finding the right materials. And th- this can be definitely one of the harder parts. Uh, it often, it, you know, it, inv- it involves finding authentic materials and supplies. This often means from flea markets, um, from uh, taking apart old paintings, paper. You know, you have to find shit that dates from the time that you're going to recreate. Yeah. Um, and this can be very difficult with the paints themselves. You often have to hand mix your pigments, um, remove things from the canvas. Uh, it, it's definitely the tricky part. Um, I really liked how Wolfgang, he used UV lights of his own and different light yeah. spectrum to test all of his own materials for inauthentic aspects such as modern fibers, lead, um, and check the paint layers. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was sick. He he spent so much time at just looking at, you know, the canvas before he even, like, would would pick it up and it's like, okay, that's usable. Right. And he could tell right away. So one of the first things, if you're doing a painting specifically, um... You have to physically and chemically remove the paint from the old canvas. So you've gone to the flea market. You find your age-appropriate canvas. You you have your nails for hanging, whatever, all your shit. Then you have to get this paint because you can't just paint over the painting because when they do x-rays or different light analysis, they yeah. can see the layers. So you're using a chemical process, a paint remover of sorts, you know, go over the painting and then scrape off the old paint layers. Right. And what's so interesting is the artists that are very, the forgers that are very good at this, they incorporate these previous paint layers. So the, it, it's like uh, a tattoo cover up, you know, to like make it look somewhat natural. Yeah. The one dude, he uh, turned a, so funny, it was a woman's breast into a into a tower. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, how the fuck did you make that work? But he just could finesse the lines just right, because these these past paint layers that are removed are, are not completely gone. But you can get a lot of it off. But then you gotta find ways to incorporate the shapes you need to into the the new painting. Um and then uh you have to the curing ovens. That yeah. shit, that gets pretty wild because to to fake the aging process, a big part of that is like building a curing oven that you cure to the right temperature for the right amount of time to to reproduce the right age of a painting. And yeah. oil paintings, like a, a classic oil painting, that those shit take forever to dry. Yeah, 
So if you're curing it in your own homemade oven and you need it to look X years old, sometimes that curing process can take six to 12 months. That's yeah, that's the fucking the long con, man. Dude, that's a serious dedication, too. Seriously. And I really like then you got to do the smell check. Yeah. Cuz it can't smell new. Like you can't have it smelling of fresh oil or paints or whatever. Like you can't have anything that could tip it off as modern. So, you're doing smell checks throughout this process. Right. <laughs> and and I love uh we'll get to it in a sec. But so you're doing your smell checks. And then uh, you have to find authentic frames, right? Right. And then these frames, you're using old dust and grime to stuff inside the, the canvas and to grime it up. I thought that's so awesome. Yeah, that was slick. The way that, that was done was slick. Because legit, if you had the old dust and shit, like in theory, they test that and it would date back. Yeah. Too. That's so, so crafty. Um one of the forgers I was watching, so you need nails and like uh, hanging material for your frame now. Uh, he would either find old rusty nails that would date to the appropriate age, and he had all these drawers of nails from different years, which is outstanding. But he also would use salt water. He he put the nails in a salt water solution and do the electro stimulus shit. Yeah. to like fast forward the aging of his nails and it's like god damn that's fucking that's, that's awesome some real cool shit yeah um one of the big things is using an iron ironing board iron to smooth out the back of the canvas because you need it um like you know and fresh canvas will be real rough and you need to simulate the aging by smoothing it out um this also can help with smell and shit um and then i th- dude I think this would be one of the most difficult parts is to research and copy a signature perfectly freehand on the oh, finished painting. Absolutely. That would be, that would be oh. nerve wracking. I feel like honestly, I've done like some signature forging shit. I feel like I'm pretty good, <laughs> but like I, I do pride myself in being able to copy art in general, but another person's signature I'm very good at, but to do in paint, with a little brush on a finished painting that you spent six months forging. Like, if you fuck it up, it will show. Yeah. Like, you but, can't just, like, repaint that little section, and, it, it like, it'll show up on their, their x-ray scan if you keep fucking up the signature. Like, you have to get it right the first go. The, uh, the, what I note about my own signature is that I, anybody could probably like no one would be able to tell my signature based on someone copying it because of it's kind of just it's really really messy and it's kind of shitty um but i i would know it there are like little details i have in my my signature that i that i do every time right. it's usually different all the time but i have you know the same like two or three things that are always the same now do you i i don't really know what your handwriting looks by memory do you have like do you use the same font or style of writing all the time i think we've Um, talked about this in the past i have like two different auto fonts right Um, dude that's psycho yeah one when i when i'm when it's when i need to make it legible and it's like for other people to read yeah um and then when it's my own notes it's it's still not chicken scratch, but it's like 
super shorthand. Actually, I would say mm. I have three. Because if I'm, like, having fun and, like, doodling notes and shit, I do, like, graffiti text. I have, and I, I like, I used to do this all the time. I'd build my own, like, complete font. Like, I'd write out every right. letter and get the shit right. And then I'd practice it and practice it yeah. and practice it. And now I have three that I go to on a regular basis. But I probably know, like, six or seven Dude. that I can do off the top of my head. God, that's why you're my homie, man. Dude, same thing, man. Dude, I have like three main ones, but like every so many years, I develop a new like handwriting style. Like it's constantly changing, and I like that. And like in school, especially, I write every paragraph in a different font to make taking notes more interesting. I I love I love font design shit, but I I. Like, I went into graphic design. I thought that would be my jam, but I hate fucking working for people. It's like I got into... Yeah. I started to try to get into doing tattoos. It's like, I don't want to design for people. I hate... Right. Oh, man, it's the worst. Um, I, got, I got into... Um, during my during college, I had a um, like a quarter final assignment that I we had to make, make a menu, and it was like... You know, they showed examples of other people that did theirs and it was like leather bound shit and all kinds of other stuff. I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, this is <laughs> going to be actual work. So I told, like, that was the only person with like art skills in my group, I think. Um, at least that wanted to do like this level of shit. Um, but I, I didn't have a printer and I was like the day before. Um, I stayed up all night handwriting and like old English font, the entire menu and like cost analysis and all this other shit on this, uh, thing. Yeah, it was real fucked. It was real fucked. My hand hurt like a bitch. Man, dude, that shit, like for real, that hand pain is wicked sometimes. Yeah. So last couple steps of a uh, proper forgery. So you get the signature just right, which can be tricky because there are old tricks to make your signature forgery proof. That's That really is a thing, and sometimes it's hard to overcome, but you get the, for, the signature just right. So the last big step is another smell check, and this is tricky because depending on where your painting would realistically have resided in the world, you need it to come off as authentic. And this often, in, you know, in the years your painting would be from, this often means cigarette smoke. It means the smell of that country, whatever. So some of the best suggestions people have offered is building a fume hood and to burn cartons of cigarettes. Yeah. Like <laughs> over weeks. Like just you're just burning. smoke it. <laughs> oh, dude, that is so gnarly. <laughs> And then the other big suggestion uh, Wolfgang offered jokingly, but I think he was serious too, was to hang your painting in a bar for a year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like like you need it to like really fucking reek. And I'm assumed to actually hang in a bar, you'd have to have like another painting on top of it or like, you know, the owner or some shit. Like you can't have it like in public, but you need it to like really fucking reek of cigarettes most of the time. Um, and then your last couple steps is going back between smell check and a proper varnish because you needed to get it varnished properly with varnish that can date from the right age, but you can't have it smell too strongly. So it's often recommended you cure 
either in open or plain air or sometimes in the sunlight, which is counterintuitive because you typically avoid, um, like if you have paints hanging in your home today, you don't want them to be um, in a spot where sunlight through a window hits them most right. of the time because it ages them with lines and shit. But sometimes they recommend that to help cure a forgery and get rid of smells. Oh, the smells you don't want. Yeah, if you're trying to age it. Right. Dude, I mean, it's a hell of a process. And these dudes have all kinds of crazy tricks because the lab analysis they are trying to beat is intense. And if they go for the highest level of testing, you I mean, you can't always beat it. Yeah. For sure. We, uh, I did want to throw in real quick yeah. uh, on the idea of smoking something with cigarettes. Um, smoking with cigarettes, uh, <laughs> we... We had at one of the restaurants I worked at, I had somebody that had mentioned the idea of like, you know, we we're talking about different kinds of wood you can use to smoke stuff. And like people use like not just wood, but they can use like pine needles and different things. And you right. get different effects if you use it in the right way and at the right stages. And he was like, what if we just put some cigarettes in there? And I was like, <laughs> For food? what if we just, we just like, you know, nicotine blast? <laughs> Just fucking tar the shit out of this. Oh, god damn it. I was like, I don't think that's going to work, but <laughs> I mean, it'll work. That's the same. It'll work. It's going to be fucking disgusting. Right. You got the smelly old painting. I mean, I feel like of anything, like maybe at a certain point, you might be able to get away with tobacco in your smoke mixture for like some ribs or something yeah. that's already going to be really bold but he was just like just put some cigarettes in there with oh. a little suction <laughs> nah, <no. laughs> oh that's bad that's really funny though so this authentication process this is this is what your forgery has to be able to beat or or seem good enough that they don't go through with the full authentication right, right. so yeah. There's two main aspects to this. There's the research and there's lab analysis. Right. Um, so the research aspect, this is the art historians or the specialist of an artist's work. So there's all these people that are like a specialist in Picasso or a specialist in whatever. So you have to beat these specialists and art historians. So... This the big keyword that all these the documentaries all the writing goes back to is provenance, and this is the ownership history of a work of art, and it is immensely important as evidence of of the work's authenticity. So provenance can come in many forms, but it often relies on certificates of authenticity, and that's that's more modern. Like the, there's. Certificates of authenticity that date way back, but modern art specifically, that shit is like intense. Like there is all, there is so much uh, proof of where a paper's been, different certificates by different places, each place right. it goes to, you know, it, it gets intense. So the older stuff, there's a little bit less of that, but a lot of times you still need like the stamp on the frame by which dealer it came from or that you know, there's writing about it being sold to X, Y, Z, you know? So you have to have that, that provenance. 
So a complete provenance supplies a documented history that can prove previous ownership and attribute the work to the artist, thus establishing the work's authenticity. Catalogs or and or literature about the artist or the piece. So the biggest thing they they always say, never buy any art without provenance. Like eBay, whatever. Like you don't buy shit unless there's proven paperwork of right. where it came from. I mean, it, it's different, I think, for when you're buying shit from a friend. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Steven, I'm going to need to see some provenance on this. need to see some paperwork <laughs> on that, buddy. Now, what do you think about the lab analysis? That shit's where it gets way more complicated. Yeah. I, I'm, a, like I said, I'm a fan of all the wild techniques that they go through. You know, it's like you're carbon dating, you know, yeah. uh, to a to a degree. You know, you're just, you're going through so much detailed breakdown um it it really gets complicated so it um it often involves a lot of like extreme magnification um with like electron microscopes and photography and the chemical testing of paints and materials uh the light tests with the x-ray and uv and uh spectro spectro thank you please say spectroscopy spectroscopy uh they uh they typically test the pigments of the paint to make sure no modern paints were used uh doing a a complete breakdown of all the elements in like just a single flake of the paint um yeah they often test like the they specifically test the colors they know are harder that how how do i say this that like some colors are they know date back easier and some colors uh they know are only modern right so like a titanium white or a typical cyan they might test those hard like they're testing specific colors a lot of times but they can tell so much from any flake of paint from a painting it's incredible yeah it's that dna test right i mean that it is so in depth what they're looking from they do uh I'm sure you've seen the ones where they have, like, they take the piece of art and they put it on the frame, and then they have this camera on, like, a, a robotic hand, and it takes pictures, like, circling the painting, and it's not quite as deep as electron micros- microscope, which they also do, but it gives them a way to, like, zoom in, like, 500 times, like, a video on any spot of the painting. It's incredible. They're doing all these chemical tests. They're using the x-rays and UVs to look for things like the, a modern fiber or to look at the layers of a painting. You know, it's so incredible. Yeah. Hella science shit. That Hella science shit. shit. Yeah, fucking art nerds. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about Bella Trashy? <laughs> Bella Trashy. <laughs> Bella Trashy is my girlfriend. The, be- so- the bell of the ball, Bella Trashy. We're going to talk about uh, Beltrashi. Wolfgang Beltrashi. And in researching art forgery, this is what I was most drawn to. Because I'm familiar with this guy. I've I've watched this documentary before. It's called Beltrashi, The Art of Forgery. And it's so fucking incredible. So The fucking balls on this guy. Yeah, man. So should we start up on Wolfgang? Uh, yeah, tell me tell me about him. So 
this documentary, uh, it it's on YouTube for free. I found out after buying it. Of course. Of course. Um, but it tells the rare story of one of the world's best and most prolific foragers. Um, do you want to start us off on uh, some background on him specifically, Wolfgang? I would love to. Um, so Wolfgang Beltrachi, Beltrachi, uh, born Wolfgang Fischer in February 1951, is an art German art forger and artist who has admitted to forging hundreds of paintings in an international art scam netting millions of euros. Beltrachi, together with his wife Helene, sold forgeries of alleged works of, by famous artists including Max Ernst, Heinrich Kampendunk, uh, Fernand Leisure, uh, Leisure or Ledger? I think it's Leisure. And yeah. Keyes Van Dongen, uh, <laughs> which is a fucking great name. Yeah. Uh, though he was found guilty for forging uh, 14. I'm fucking 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, even though he was found guilty for forging 14 works of art that sold for a combined $45 million, Oof. he claims to have faked about 80 artists. 50th. And, or, sorry, about 50 artists. I also can't read. But he um, did way more than that. Yeah, he he's, he claims to, to be doing like so much more than that. Yeah. Um, he, he claims to have faked more than 300 paintings. Um the total estimated profits that he's made from his forgeries surpasses a hundred million dollars and probably surpasses it by a lot. By a fucking lot. Like they only, they got him on one. He ends up having to admit to 14 forgeries, but later he keeps the actual number a secret, but they know of more than 300. Yeah. And think about it. 14 pieces got him 45 million. So if he did more than 300, it surpasses 100 million by a fucking shit ton. Yeah. This dude made fucking cash. Right. He was the best. He is the best forger in my opinion. Uh in 2011 after a 40-day trial, Beltrashi was found guilty, sentenced to 6 years in a German prison. His wife Helene was given a 4-year sentence. And both were ordered to pay millions in restitution. Right. Beltrashi was freed on January 9th of 2015, having served just over three years in prison. Um, yeah, yeah um, amazing the shit that he could do and his general attitude about it. Just in the trailer for the, the movie, I watched, you know, before I watched the movie, I watched the trailer for it. And He's sitting down with a guy that's interviewing him, and he he says, he says, you know, uh, it talks about his process and how he can like get into the artist's head. Yeah, and he, he said something about uh, you can, so you could even do like a Da Vinci. He's like, oh, Da Vinci's easy. I'll make a new Da Vinci. Yeah, like Da Vinci's nothing. It's like, Inc- like that's fucking bonkers. Incredible. So I, I don't know about you. I've always been very drawn to art forgery shit. I just mm-hmm. I think it's I just admire the craft of it so much and I, I always wish I had the chance to do it. Like I just I fucking love it, dude. And that's maybe why I'm I'm so like the art I do currently, which is like has a lot of design clause shit, like I think that's part of it. I love stealing shit and making it better. You are on record as having uh, not as much of a problem as cr- with crime. <laughs> <laughs> I am kind of a fan of crime. <laughs> um, 
So I've watched this documentary a couple times, and I think it's kind of like my Giro dreams. That's yeah. That what I can see that that makes sense. Yeah. So I got very excited about rewatching it, and I'm like popping popcorn at 3 a.m. And it's like I got my lights off. I'm super excited, and I'm getting popcorn grease all over all of my notes. Nice. So <laughs> if I stumble on things, forgive me. But uh, first thing this. This documentary is in German with subtitles, and the establishing shot, which I always care a lot about, is of Wolfgang mixing paint. Right. And he says, isn't this yellow wonderful? I could lick it up. Wonderful. Yeah. Dude, as soon as I heard him say this, I'm like, this dude's my fucking hero. I don't believe in heroes, but this dude's my fucking hero. I love this dude, man. So good. You can feel the passion with that. Yeah. And, And it's... That's very interesting because we'll talk more about that later. His passion is so weird. It's so, he's all twisted up. So the intro, it starts off with interviews of people he's fooled or ripped off with his work, (laughs) (laughs) which is a hell of a way to start a documentary. Right. One of them say he's, he's greedy and belongs in prison, but many of them say, like, despite how much of a piece of shit he is, that he's so talented. Yeah. Even if you hate him, you love his work. Kind exactly. Of That's outstanding. Um, they even had the one of the detectives that arrested him in the documentary. Yeah, that was pretty dope. It's like, dude, if you do crime so well, the police want to be in your documentary. Yeah. You're doing pretty good. <laughs> like, you did something right. Um, they said it was, he was so good at forging that it was hard to find much evidence against him. Yeah, that's that's fucking dope. Incredible. Um, I also want to say right off the top, Wolfgang's wife, Helene... Dude, she's she's straight gangster. She was ride or die with Absolutely. him. Absolutely, dude. I think I don't think he would have been half as successful. No, without or or he would have gone to prison a long time ago. Yeah, she she was outstanding. You know what it kind of reminded me of? It's a, this is like not like it reminded me of Tom and Christine from your yeah. mom's house. Yeah, I can see that. We're like the wife is like adores the husband so much that she'll overlook all his faults and just like (laughs) look at him with dreamy eyes all the time like she just loves him so much it's uh, it's just outstanding i loved watching them interact and it wasn't like he was shitty to her or like took advantage of that oh yeah not at all he just uh wolfgang just is who he is and they just you know, she just loves him so much. She she became part of this scam, you know? Now, do you think Wolfgang envies the masters of paint? Like, the masters of art that he often would rip off. Do you think he had envy? I think he envied their, their success. Yeah. I don't think he envied their skill. No, because he said abilities. he could do better. Yeah, he can do, yeah, he can do it all. And he could. So I, I think if anything, he envied that he couldn't make, you know, his art by itself wouldn't make as much money because he's because of his name. Right. And but now he fixed that for himself. So he, fi- he, he paid he paid for it, but he fixed it. <laughs> right. 
So, um, kind of starts off with Wolfgang and Helene. They go to the flea market and they're shopping for canvases. And it's like, you know what he's doing. It's kind of like you don't know at what stage in his life this is yet, but you're watching him shop um, for these canvases to make forgeries. And he just knows so much by just looking at the canvas. Yeah. He, he knows where they came from, what part of the world, what, what they could be used for, what you would need to do to pull it off. It's incredible. Yeah, there's times where he says he, just by smelling them, he can tell where they're from. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, that's fucking sick. <laughs> that's that's they, uh, It shows extreme amount of uh, personal hands-on knowledge. Yeah, that's you can't teach that. That's like experience. Right. So they're buying their canvases. They go back to their estate. With, like it's their house, but it's like a fucking estate. Oh my big god, it's property! And it's in France, I believe. Right? The uh, yes. Yeah. So the first thing I noticed is he's trying to he's trying to get to his desk to show off these canvases. And there's <laughs> art supplies everywhere, just mountains of them. And then he he has to move this box that's on the desk in his way. And it's a box of tools dedicated to a specific artist. And he kind of looks at the camera a little coyly and he laughs. Because it's like, that was one of his forgery toolkits, basically. Yeah. It, it was Max Ernst. He had yeah, this yeah, box. Was, of, this, this is my Ernst box. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, damn, you know, like, that's outstanding. So, at this point in the documentary, it's revealed that uh, Wolfgang and his wife they're going to have to sell their house soon because they have to turn themselves into prison for the next three years. So this whole documentary takes post their initial arrest and they're about to go to prison and some director gets the idea like we need to get this story, which is, you know, such an opportune moment for the director, I'm sure. Right. Um, Now she says she regrets it, but what did you think of his point of view on that? Um, I think, I mean, I thought, I thought it was clear that he, he absolutely didn't, he would do it all again in a heartbeat. Yeah. A hundred percent. I feel like, I feel like she probably would have too. I think she regrets, I think she felt getting caught. Yeah. I think she felt somewhat bad for it. Maybe definitely more than he did. Yeah. Um, which I, you know, I don't blame him at all. No. Cause so. I, I think because she had to lie to people because she was the one selling at times to whether it's friends or gallery owners whatever like she had to do some more of that part of it right and I think she that said would there weigh were a lot heavier for sure yeah she said there were times she chickened out of sales or things like that I I think she really does regret it but she. I think she mainly regrets him getting caught because I think no matter what he would have chose to do, she would have supported him. Right. I think she was just that down. Um, but he he had no regrets. He he kind of was dismissive of her regret. Yeah, he's like, it's three years. We lived like kings for twenty years. Like, look at all the shit we amassed. Like, right. like get over it. <laughs> uh. And then they have that dinner with their uh, their friends, and yeah. it's the big reveal of like cool. I've been a forger, a world class <laughs> forger all these years. <laughs> They're all fucking laughing about it and shit. 
Yeah, like the one dude's like, I thought you invented like a prosthetic eye or some shit. He's yeah, like, there's, th- a, there's a bunch <laughs> of different stories going around. <laughs> yeah, or like that they were just really good art dealers. And it's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he never formally studied painting. Um, he grew up in an art family, but he he just he just always felt he could paint anything by anyone. It was just so natural to him. And that's where, when he had the comment about a new Leonardo. Yeah. Dude, that was a heavy line, dude. Yeah, it was. Whew. Um, Leonardo's now, easy. Yeah. What? <laughs> right. Now, at, at this point, the art historian asks him about the potential damage to art history. And he basically just laughs and says it's bullshit. Do you, do you think that's a real factor? Like, that forgery's affecting no. our view that's what I think. No, I think if anything, it's. I mean, as as we you know we read in the history earlier, it's 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 literally is a part of art history, and it's. I don't think there's anything wrong with that part of it. I think. I think even if you have a fake painting, a, a, you know, a fake version of you know, say Starry Night, you know, you have yeah. a counterfeit version of a famous painting, that's iconic. It's still, if it's good enough to fool, you know, everyone else, it's, you know, it's not, the painting isn't significant as the, the icon, the idea of it. It's the, you know, when you study these pieces and you can look at like the, you know, as, as a student and you're looking at like strokes and stuff like that. And like, you're trying to learn that's, that's one thing, but it's not about, it doesn't damage history. It's not... I think that's some hot bullshit. I agree. I do see... I see instances where I do think it can be really bad. I'm still pro-forgery. Right. (laughs) I'm still (laughs) pro-crime. Right. But imagine if you were one of the artists, right? And you have like a series of work that... um, projects a particular philosophy or point of view and another artist years later like sneaks a piece that becomes authentic quotes and it contradicts some of your other viewpoints or changes your message i see how i see how it can can be bad right i can i can see that like I don't care about the money part, but I see how it can like alter how how we think of someone's work. I don't think that's. I mean, I guess that is. I was gonna say like I don't think that's really art history. That's just like damaging someone's name. But if they're a famous artist, then it's art it's history. Art, that's right. What, that's what it is. Um, like uh, I've mentioned it a couple times now, but Nietzsche's uh, work, like it it. His writings went one way, Hitler takes them, and he alters their meaning. And for 50 years or whatever, his work meant something very different than its original intentions. And it's like, that fucking sucks. Like, all it took is one person forging, you know, some words here and there, or adding a painting here and there, and it can completely change our understanding of history. And that, that does suck. I feel like if... If you're going to pull off a forgery, it really has to be true to what the person made. Yeah. The in the the honorable way of way to do forgery. 
<laughs> honor among dude honor among thieves is real right. i don't care what they say like uh, you always hear that there's no honor among fucking thieves and it's like all the thieves i knew that were good they had to have some honor and like their own code of ethics right or else they were bad at it and they went to jail yeah and they're just dickheads that's right different. exactly um so he he constantly is mocking the art houses, the auctions, the whole authentication process. He had a real like cheeky sense of humor about it. Um, he said they do as much as possible to authenticate, but art record sales, the prices break each year. Mm-hmm. Like there's just more money than there is art. And this is really fucking true. Yeah. Like there... The, the top 1%, whatever, the people buying art, there is more money than there can be masterpieces. Right. So it's just a competition of outbidding. Everything's going up in prices, even the stuff that isn't cared about as much. Um, And I really like, dude, I, I, I've mentioned the last couple episodes too, the NFTs, crypto art. Yeah. Dude, I saw Dude, um, Suicide Girls was starting to sell some of their pieces as NFTs now. Oh my god, that's ridiculous! Elon Musk just uh, spent four hundred twenty mil, four hundred twenty million Doge coins for something that I think Beeble did or some shit. Like, uh, shit's like out of control, dude. The these coins are their non-refundable tokens, and dude, like I know a couple digital artists that are making like. $20,000 off a piece of shit digital art because all these people see digital art collecting is the next thing so there there's more money than there is art so digital artists that aren't even very good are selling for crazy amounts of money right now dude get in on that shit dude I know I keep thinking about it but the process is fucking weird because you have to go through these digital art houses now to get your art digitalized as a token coin. I'll be so the Helene to your, your, oh. your, your wolf game. <laughs> Dude, honestly, I'm very interested in it. But then there's the whole problem with my work on if, if I've stolen too much. <laughs> right? Right, right. It is like because if it gets authenticated and it comes out that one of the aspects of my art is under a copyright protection, does it break fair use and collage laws or is it good to go? And then if it's not and it's already made as a non-refundable token, you're in some a whole nother weird world. It's so confusing. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't feel like that is a legitimate worry because I'm, I'm. Yeah, I, you, I, you, you fuck with your shit enough. I think I, you'd be fine. I care about making something unique. You'll uh, be fine, right? <laughs> I sell for a hundred million dollars on some <laughs> digital weird crypto coin, and then somebody's trying to sue me for non-refundable money. It's so weird, dude. I uh, I'm just amazed by crypto shit. Um, I was gonna mention. So some of my experience with the art world shit is my grandpa, who's who's the one. It's so weird, dude. Small world shit. Your uh, your family street, yeah, in P Hill. That's named after him, who lives on oh, Mount Sick. Yeah, because he was he was a mayor or uh, he ran for mayor 
but he was a judge and worked for the feds. Hell yeah. And, I mean, uh, that's kind of, yeah. you know, it's your, right. it's your, it's your grandpa. <laughs> right. Hell yeah. Cause it was your grandpa. <laughs> yeah. But he was a big art collector, dude. So like my whole childhood going over to my grandparents' house, like they had this like kind of a swanky condo, but it was just packed full of art. Like that, that's really, I think what got me into art. And I did not see eye to eye with him on a lot of things, but our appreciation for art, like, was our connection. You know what I mean? But I, like, especially after he passed, like, helping my mom figure out how to sell this art or the whole collector's world. I mean, dude, it's absurd. Like, insurance and sending pieces across state lines, like, federal tax shit. I mean, it is. It is so much more complicated than I ever would have imagined. Mm. And it really is a money game. And I think he was one of the collectors that genuinely cared about art. So, but he was also a businessman. So you could tell he bought passion pieces where he wasn't concerned about, you know, the rise and fall of the cost of this piece. But he spent a lot, like the other half of his stuff was just about money. Right. You know what I mean? There was this one artist, uh, James Castle. Uh, and I remember looking at this book multiple times. Excuse me. This artist, I believe he was, the, I believe the quote in his bio was uh, blind, deaf, dumb. Like the, that was the term. Like he was, mm-hmm. I believe, slow-witted and he was blind and deaf. And he lived on the streets and I forget what years, but he just used like... Uh, all found materials like it'd be like a piece of cardboard with like scribbles in soot it like wrapped with string and he would like some of them would be like drawings of real things but it was all with whatever materials he had on the street as a poor man basically oh wow yeah and and what like i think that's so interesting yeah very cool but the art was garbage (laughs) literal garbage you know what i mean yeah dude this book each page was $30,000. Jesus, fuck. Altogether, that book is like hundreds of thousands of dollars, probably. Oh, my God. I mean, it doesn't even make sense to me. No. So, like, it was very interesting learning from my grandfather, like, what art could be worth a lot, what what he cared about just because he loved. And, like, I, it's just such a weird world, man. It's just like... Uh, you know, hyping up shit and figuring out how you sell. And it's just so wild. You would have liked, I mean, a lot of it, I did not like his collection, but there were parts of it that, like, you would love to. You know what I mean? It sucked, man. You'd like it. <laughs> you see it. Oh, my God. <laughs> you fucking asshole. <laughs> I, that didn't come out right. There's stuff I think you would have really liked. And there's stuff I love, too. You know what I mean? Thanks, Steven. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say that the the artists uh, who I I own the most work of their of uh, you know their body of work is yours. Um, That's because you like bad art. Yeah, <laughs> I, got, I have seven of you. no, I have six, seven, eight. I have nine of your pictures in my room. <laughs> That's funny, man. That's a lot. That's a lot. I'm taking up a lot of wall space. I got four more out in the living room. <laughs> That's why I was like, we got to start figuring out like uh uh like. 
frame system where you can pop them in and out kind of thing. Yeah, how how much... Uh, we got to figure out how to make money off of these motherfuckers. <laughs> That's the thing. I suck at business, bro. I hate it. I want to make cool shit, but I hate selling it. It's so hard for me. It's like following, uh, following your grandpa's, uh, you know... Thought process. I I keep your pictures. I, I I you know have your pictures because I like them. I like the work. Right. But man, the minute I can make some fucking money on these some <laughs> bitches, sell them out. Fucking better believe I'm selling oh, some original Stevens. That's funny, man. So, uh, oh, man, what did you catch when one of these critics? I dude, I fucking love this quote. He said, uh, "The art market penalizes depreciation." criticism and doubt but they reward appreciation euphoria and calling something a masterpiece yeah that's such a weird way to say that i really liked even his speech pattern i just i love all the words he chose yeah it's so on point it's it's but he said it's just a hype game yeah and everyone makes their commission so no one wants it to be fake i mean if you're the person who's calling something out, if you're the specialist who looks at this artist and is like, I have some doubt, they're going to be like, get the fuck out of here. We're finding a specialist who who gets it, yeah. who knows this is a masterpiece. So it's just it's just a circle of rich people jerking each other off and tricking each other. Yep. That's terrible. Dude, I, like when I got excited earlier about art destruction theft shit like isis yeah. destroyed dude i i so like especially the modern art guy i want to burn shit to the ground man. right wouldn't it be so satisfying to destroy a masterpiece <laughs> I was just can you thinking. imagine dude can you imagine burning the mona lisa i was just like just just paint over it with like black like house paint <laughs> just right it's better now <laughs> Dude, it's, it's mine i paid for it i can do whatever the fuck i want with it <laughs> dude that's like the the that uh pharma bro that bought the wu-tang album oh yeah oh what a piece of shit yeah, fuck that guy but it's interesting i mean he basically just said fuck everyone and kept it for himself i mean yeah. it's interesting yeah <sighs> the most wu-tang thing wu-tang could have done create an idol that everyone fought over Right. Oh, man. And you got everyone saying, oh, it should be free and for everyone. And then this evil, villainous person takes it up. (laughs) I lost a lot of respect for him over that. Like, how the fuck were you? How did you sell it to him? Yeah. What the fuck? I don't get it. Um, What about the poison gift thing? This this I, uh, duped collector says a forgery is a poison gift. No, it's. I like that imagery though. Yeah, it sounds it sounds cool. It's a yeah. cool phrase, but no, it's only a poison gift because rich people are fucking stupid, and their priorities <laughs> are fucked. Oh man, that's if the only reason. That much. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm with you, but if you spent that much money, I'd be pretty pissed too. I mean, so if yeah, so if I. If I, I if I bought something for someone and I spent that much money, then I, without without verifying that it was exactly. real, then I deserve to be humiliated for that. Yeah, that's 
fucking ridiculous. I'm with you. Um, it's funny. Like I keep being like, yeah, fuck the art world, fuck rich people, and then I kind of go back and forth. Like I still, I don't know. It's still like. As as much as I love forging shit, it's still like yeah, it's fucked up. <laughs> like, but I, I I also see where it's like, you know, um, you might have it in here, but there is a like the couple that says, you know, it's not once they realize it's a forgery, it's no longer art. It's a decoration. Uh, it's, it's a direct decoration. I thought that's yeah. fucking stupid. It's like it's the same thing. If you have it because of the name involved on it, you're right. a fucking idiot. You're a piece of shit. It's like it's yeah. one thing if it's like I would say it's only different if it's like, you know, like you're my friend, so I definitely want to support your shit. But even if like if I didn't like your shit, I wouldn't have so much of it. Right. I wouldn't get, you know, I might get a couple and then like that's it. Like, yeah, I'm gonna put them over here. Yeah, yeah, I'll put them. I'll put them. Turn it around against the wall. <laughs> um, Dude, that's the worst. It's this nuanced way of hanging the frame. Just face it towards the wall. <laughs> that's a hard thing, though, when you get art from somebody as a gift that you don't like. Yeah. Okay. Ugh, that sucks. That is you're true. Like, you're like, you should have checked with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you put me in a hell of a position. Did, did you really did you really think I was gonna dig this one? Were you really thinking of me when you when you put this right. together? I mean, but it but it's if you're getting a piece of artwork, it's because you like the artwork. That should, should be the be. reason you get the artwork. If you're getting right. it because of the name attached to it, you're an asshole. Right. <laughs> there it's that's it. That's all I got. I'm with you. So uh, we start seeing him go through the forging process, and he's incorporating the residue of the removed paint layers, and he, he's trying to figure out ways to beat possible lab analysis. This is kind of what I was saying earlier. It reminds me of a tattoo cover-up. And then he ends up saying, and this was very telling, he said, painting was never sacred to me. Right. And every day he just lived with it, and he did because he had fun painting. Yeah, I thought that was a really good line. Yeah, so good. It's like, fuck, nothing is sacred. Nothing yeah. is sacred. Um, he grew up in an art family. His father was a painter. Uh, just for fun, when he was a boy, his father had him copy a Picasso. Um, he did his better than the original, adding unique things to it, and he did it much Not quicker saying than... much, it's Picasso. <laughs> right. Uh yeah, I forgot what piece he said it was from the blue period. Yeah. Um, but his dad was a methodical uh, painter who enjoyed copying pieces just for fun, uh, not to forge them. And he did it much better and quicker than his father could do. Yeah. <laughs> so his father yeah, quit cool. painting for a while. Ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's brutal, man. Yeah. So this is when uh, Wolfgang found his passion for forgery. And he practiced by doing restorations, and then he found he could improve paintings by adding things so they could be sold for more money. Sometimes this would be like a subject matter, like if it was a landscape, just changing a couple things, adding some happy shit, um, and he found he could sell them for more. So then he started finding that if he just remade the painting from scratch, he could do it better and make some more money. Right. Which is, out. that's so great. Um they had all these old slideshow shits of them. Uh, yeah, I thought that it was, was a really cool. It did, yeah, like it really captured a lot of their life. 
Yeah, it was like an art film for like they'd have these sections that were done well. Um, he kind of seemed punk, and they kept showing like a lot of alcohol, and I couldn't tell if it was tobacco or weed, but they showed him kind of as this punk dude, you know, just riding through the country on his motorcycle, forging shit. It was cool. They definitely showed hash at one point. That yeah, they definitely showed it, some hash. Yeah, and but it, you know it's Europe; they're smoking spliffs. Yeah. And, dude, I mean, he ended up making so much money, he really did live like a fucking Coke dealer. I right. mean, it was boats, houses, beaches. He's planting a thousand trees at one point just for the fuck of it. I mean, crazy shit. Yeah. It, it was vacations every weekend all over the world and shit. Um, and at one point, he's seen his forgeries in museums. And he said, damn, I'm in all the museums and no one knows it's mine. And he said, right. people think that would really bother me. But it just doesn't matter. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that would that would cut for me. I feel like that would be rough but to know think- that how much how much time and effort goes into it. Because he's not just painting a picture; he's he's crafting a forgery. Right. But- so the time that went into that, I feel like that would be. I would feel so robbed. I mean, I guess you're getting paid. The ludicrous amounts of money you're getting paid for it, so you're not really robbed, but... See, that's that's kind of what I think. So, I think that phrase really meant that he thinks people would be bothered, but that he doesn't feel bothered. That's right. how I interpreted that. I'm not sure... Well, I think it's somewhere in between, because I think he was envious of the Masters. I think he wanted to be known for his own work... But I think he really didn't feel painting was sacred and just wanted the money. Yeah, same. Like, I th- I think he was like, fuck notoriety, I got cash. He just realized, I'm really good at this, I can make yeah. money on this, yeah. Which is interesting. I think, me personally, if I ever was like that, I think I would struggle with no one knowing. I think that's hard to set aside ego for cash. Absolutely. Kind of that's a hard trade. Um. So then he... You know, him and his wife have to turn themselves into prison. Uh, What was pretty fortunate for them is they get work release every day. After a certain amount of time, they got work release every day. And they both get to leave prison each morning and they go work at their art studio. Just drove out. Yeah. They can't do forgeries, but they can go back to making art, you know? That's some wild shit. I think that was really fucking cool. Yeah, I, I don't know. A, I don't know. Understand how that works? I guess because the American prison system has my mind. Um, we we have some of that though. Do we? Yeah, like for certain char- for DUI charges, like in Indiana, uh, they have things like after multiple charges, like you have to go in during the week. You get weekends off. You can go to work. Um, there are some situations if it's a lower charge or you're so far into your sentence. They start doing work release, and that's typically if someone's going to make a break for it, they do, but it's dumb because they're already close to getting out kind of thing. Yeah. But but like Epstein shit, he got work release just because he had bank, you know, like he yeah. was able to. So there are situations where you're either super high up on the, on the money scale or it's not a big deal what you got charged with. And I think they felt for him, he probably made the German state more money making art than he did in prison right and they they're liquidating all this shit yeah they say so. sold all his properties yeah i think you're it's about the money for sure right 
So on the weekends in prison, he's drawing his uh, drawing portraits of his fellow prisoners. That yeah. was cool. Yeah. Um, and and that was cool. He, the the guy told him he should be he should do tattoos. And he was like, yeah. Nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and then at one point, the prisoner, this dude, like looked like an Aryan motherfucker, all tatted up. He was like, uh, I prefer to live my life fast and furious. And uh, Wolfgang was like, I prefer to live mine. What did he say? Slow and furious is better. Yeah. He's like, I don't L- want to l- go Long fat. and furious. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Long and furious. And it's like, damn, that's, that's, that's some shit, man. So the wife's in there too. Um, and they're talking at one point at, in the studio one of these days. And they say it's easier to sell a piece for half a million than 10K. Because it's worth more and people want it more. Yeah. If there's demand, it should be produced. I had to re-listen to that or rewatch that yeah. part because I didn't get it at first. And it's like, oh, if you charge more for it, then people think it's real. Yeah. Which is it, like, that's fucking ridiculous. And they want it that more. Yeah. Like, if it's worth a half a million, they want it. You yeah. know, if it's worth 10K, eh, whatever. They think, oh, if I'm buying it for, you know, half a mil, how much can I sell it for? Right. You know. That's, yeah. So the wife is the one that helps sell a lot of these. And her point of view was that the dealers don't expect forgeries, but they're just happy to get anything they can sell. So they might not ask many questions because they're just eager to fucking sell. Right. Uh, Wolfgang's point of view was the, the two best ways to approach forging is to paint a lost painting or create an imaginary gap in the artist's work we talked about earlier. Um, he said he'd like to do things where the piece doesn't appear in the catalog, so no one knows what it looked like, what it looks like or where it was last, but everyone knows it exists. So he used a combination of these methods, and they created good stories. They gave the researchers just enough to check and let them find the breadcrumbs that they left on their own. So, do you want to tell fucking <laughs> Olga Yaga? Oh my god, this was um, so fucking good. Um, so, so, the backstory they used was that the wife's uh, aunt and uncle work art collectors. They're their uncle, Uncle Jaeger, Uncle yeah. Jaeger. Um, they, I, I saw him when they show him like setting up wallpaper. Oh my like, god. Like I couldn't figure out like what part of the process is this for? I thought uh, maybe it was like her photography or something. You know, yeah, like I try to figure out what, what was going on and then like as they're setting up this scene, like physically setting up like a, a fake stage looking scene. It's a set. They yeah, built a, a set. set in yeah. Their they're talking about how they need to to model for these to make these fake the photographs. And so they they got his wife is like putting her hair up in a certain way and he is like ragging on her because she didn't wear makeup. He's like, they didn't have makeup back or they weren't, didn't wear makeup back then. And it's like, so they, they get these old looking photographs of, of, you know, this fake aunt that doesn't exist so that researchers and auctioneer people can find them. And, and so it would appear that it was real. It was fucking genius. It was beautiful like the super details of shit like that, I I never never would have thought of that. No, because then it's that crazy. So the they would wife, need to do it. Yeah. So they they take these digital photos and it's got his forgeries in the background yeah. 
of the shots because that's about that. the, they're creating the provenance. So these photos have the forgeries in it, and it's supposed to be the aunt showing off her collection. Yeah, and it's his paintings he forged and the photos taken in their studio in a set they built. It's just outstanding. So these photos, it's so funny because once you know it's her. It's so obvious, but everybody thinks it's, oh, it's a distant relative because they distort the photos to look old. And these photos were used by the art houses on the brochures to prove the painting's origins. I mean, that's incredible. So they're at these, you know, it's just awesome. Such a such a great scheme. Um, everyone wanted it to be true, and they fooled some of the world's best experts. Nah, we're we're it's all good. Alright. Yeah. So they, they fool these experts all over the world with their crazy scheme. Um uh, his paintings were often thought of as better than the original artist, so he'd kind of have to walk the line. <laughs> um and at one point they know that this was so good. When they knew the charges were coming, they dumped their computers in the pond, they burned all their canvases, yeah, they buried the good scene. supplies oh so good and the kids were oblivious you know he's got this family and the kids don't know shit they just think their dad's a lazy art trader <laughs> yeah that, that, that one point we just thought he was lazy it's like yeah, that's they're, great they're like it was kind of weird he always had one painting to the side of his other collection <laughs> yeah <laughs> so good so um nobody knows the exact number of forgeries that he made and he still keeps it a secret, and he always kind of talked about it with a smile. Um, but we know for sure there's more than 300 paintings by more than 50 artists, which is incredible. Very few people have been able to successfully imitate that many artists. He said the market wanted anything he made. And he often beat extensive lab analysis tests. And because it's so expensive to do the really deep testing, his forgeries beat many aspects, and it beat more aspects of the analysis than they thought possible. Mm -hmm. You know, if you spend enough money, you can find out if it's real or fake, but he beat a lot of testing. Um, how he got busted was pretty goofy. Uh, it was a painting of horses, and there were two pigments... That the lab analysis, one of the, the dealers kind of caught the idea that it might be fake. It got tipped off a little bit. And these two pigments, uh, he said he used them straight out of the tube. Yeah. Because he got lazy and didn't feel like mixing the, the pigments. I mean, that's that's just Done arrogancy. And, and la that. You know, you think he probably did it on a few other ones. Yeah. And it just it didn't get checked. It didn't get whatever. He's like, they're so stupid, I can get away with it. Right. I can use this shit straight from Michael's. Right. <laughs> so the gallery discovered it was fake. Um, one day, the family's going to the restaurant for a restaurant for dinner. Uh, it's raining. The police pull them over. They have guns drawn. Dark dogs barking. They make the kids wait in the rain. Um, and in the end, him and his wife were sentenced to three years in a German prison. All of yeah. his real estate was liquidated for the damages done to the victims of his fraud, and the customers were ultimately reimbursed. That's wild. 
which means it's all fucking bullshit. Yeah. He made so much money off of it all that they could reimburse all the victims, which means all the galleries and all the people selling his art, they all fucking made money. Yeah. And I assume they still have his artwork. Yeah, that's the problem. They are cons- there's a I was looking up updates to the story and there's a bunch of impending lawsuits on him personally because so many of his fakes are coming up now. That's fucking cool. I mean, yeah, it's, it is. it's cool that he's got so many of them out there. It's not that cool that he's getting, about. you know, right. fucked. It's like if you found out it was a fake, you probably should keep it to yourself yeah. at that point. But then people, some people have gotten in trouble for that where they discover it by lab analysis and then they continue to sell it as real and then they gain trouble too. So ignorance is the best policy. And that's yeah. why these galleries, they don't want to know because they're putting themselves... They're making themselves liable if they do know. So, I don't know. It's fucked up shit. Yeah. Um, and while different arts institutions were hurt um, financially from some of the detected forgeries, they still made, they, everybody made money. Um, they're still circulating. And um, it's just fucked up. It's interesting. Uh, Wolfgang kept a journal. He wrote every day of his life, and he had more than 8,000 pages. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's absurd. I tried to see if anybody had put it online, but it wasn't up there. But apparently there was talks of that. Um, Because while he was in prison, he wrote an auto uh, bibliography that I'd like to read. And a book of letters between him and his wife while they were in prison before they had work release which I think is very romantic and overly dramatic. Oh, extremely. But I want in, you to in, read I the letters. In the best possible way. It's, I it's, agree. Yeah. But it's like, I want you guys to read the letters to my wife. It's like, you're in jail for three years. You got work release, homie. Right. Like, come on. Um, so they said together uh, they are finding new ways to be creative without breaking the law, which I thought was goofy. Yeah. The wife said there is no hopelessness in him, only desire. And that, that was that's visible. What got him busted. Yeah, so visible. Um, soon, as soon as they got released, I don't know if they were allowed to legally right away, but right away after release, they left Germany and moved back to France. Nice. And upon release, he had his first solo exhibit under his real name. This whole case just made him famous, and people demanded a solo exhibit. Yeah. I mean, obviously. Obviously. I mean, it's outstanding. So now he has shows all over the world, and his original art sells for millions. Nice. It's outstanding. Um, And this kind of is getting towards the end. Um, At the end of the doc, he talks about his relationship with art. He says, after so many years spent so closely to the art market, he has become pragmatic and developed an emotionally distant relationship to art. There is no blood or tears in my work. I reserve my passion for my children and wife. And he doesn't mind if people forge his work either. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I thought that was funny. He said, you know, why should I care? Why, why, how can I possibly be get upset? Yeah. And then they had a shot of his signature too. Yeah. <laughs> it was a story of greed and desire. But I, I really think it's even more. It's just a guy that just simply enjoyed making art. It, making art for for different reasons, I think, than most people, you know, typically make art for. 
but he definitely had a had an enjoyment, had a uh, yeah. a, a, a certain love of of what he was doing, right? But I think that was the strong that he said, you know, he he reserves his passion for his family, and that that was also clear, like the way that they lived and they were able to live, you know, the risk that he put himself through, and it could have been much worse, right. um, you know, the the charges and everything that were put on him, so. And I mean, if he's gonna get end up getting sued and shit afterward, but if he's making all these millions on his new shit, then hopefully they'll be fine. But it yeah. looks like his kids were old enough to be going to college and shit now, so yeah, dude, there he's flush. Yeah, I, I really think it's without him bragging. I think he had so much money yeah. socked away. I think he this was all well planned, and he's just so happy with how it worked out. I think he was very. Uh, very proud of himself. I think yeah. he had a good sense of humor about it all. As he should be. What did you think of his original work? Um, I, to be honest with you, don't remember from the doc. Okay. I, I honestly, I didn't find it impressive. I think it was technically very good, but I think, uh, I see how his own work could be outstanding, but I think he just enjoyed working off other people's stuff so much that his original work wasn't very inspiring to me but, I, was, I mean he he does say that he's not he's emotionally distant from it so i, yeah. I was thinking of like with his new art like would he would you do the same things kind of the similar idea things that you were doing and just like then he'd just sign his own name on it like it'd make it look like a you know a you know ernst or something and then like just put your own name on it and that's that's what they did at the end yeah it was like it had one original of his, and then one was a Wolfgang Max Ernst. Oh, okay. And I was like, that's interesting. Because they knew people would want to see his forgeries more than his original art still. Yeah, that's what he's known for. Right. So Fun now he's doing a little bit of both in a way that is legal. Nice. Very interesting. I was, um, when I, the night I watched the documentary, I was, uh, it was one of the nights I was feeling like complete garbage. So yeah. I was, I faded in and out, I'm sure, towards the end. I, I love it, man. I just, I appreciate just his point of view so much, how, how he went about all of it. I just, I just love it. It's so fun. Yeah. I've already actually, I've, I've turned a, a couple friends on to uh, watching it as well. Hell yeah. Just from talking about it with him um, earlier this week. And I'm, I'm sure I'll, that's another one I'll, I'll for sure watch again. I love cons. I don't, and he was so childish about it. I just, I don't know. Yeah. He said he was proud of himself. He was. He, I think he really was. And, he, you know, he made his family happy, so it was all worth it. Um, well, I think uh, I think we can wrap up for part one. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about part two because we're going to get more abstract about what is art and forgery. And there's some crazy stories that have been out lately, so I think it'll be really fun. Do you have any dishonorable mentions this week? Yeah, fuck Sotheby's <laughs> and Christie's <laughs> and all the art galleries and museums and dealers and fuck them all. Fuck Sotheby's, fuck Applebee's. <laughs> <laughs> I could go for uh, uh, some uh, some apps right now. Some apps and certs. Uh, definitely fuck the art feds. I'm excited to talk about. 
I felt weird. I had my computer open on some federal websites for a couple hours. And I <laughs> forgot to close them. I'm like, I'm like Googling art forgery with the FBI website in the other tab. It's um, for a podcast. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, dude, fuck those idiots trying to catch shit. That's so... It's funny. We'll, we'll get into it more. Yeah. But uh, I think that's all I got. You got anything? Any advice? Um, no, that's that's it. Uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, thank you to Approaching Human for the use of his music. You can find his work on SoundCloud at Approaching-Human. Make sure to check out the show page at Trash Cats Trashcast on Instagram for news and art from the show. Yep. If you're bored enough, you can check out my shitty forged art on Instagram at Skyzix, S-K-Y-Z-I-C-X. Shoutouts to check these people out, Sign and Sealed, Rogue Henson, and read the book Man's Search for Meaning. And I think that's it. So tune in next week for part two. We'll be talking more about um, some other examples of forgery and the art community, including Rothko, Cash and Wine. What's Cash and Wine? Cash and Wine, individually. Oh, yes. Rothko's Forge Cash and Wine Forgery. But we got some other cool stuff. It'll be really fun. Um, Anything else? Uh, No. Let's get the fuck out of here. That's going to be all for us today. Stay classy. Eat trashy. Our gutter gang. Gutter gang.